Howdy. This is Callum from Fight Figures. This is your introduction to a podcast that I'm starting because fuck, how else am I going to procure any viewers besides doing a podcast? This reminds me of like Rory McDonald, you know, former UFC welterweight championship contender, uh, Rory McDonald. Um, when he started his YouTube channel, he, he, he did a live video, he did one of those live YouTube broadcasts. And I remember him saying in the first like 30 seconds of the video, uh, I'm not going to try and do his Canadian accent because I butcher it, but uh, he was just like, yeah, no, my manager said I should probably do this just because I don't get many viewers. And he said this would probably help. And I'm in the same kind of place right now. Uh, so I'm going to start a podcast because fuck it, why, why not? Can't hurt my viewership, you know? What is there to hurt? Uh, all it means is that perhaps down the track I can have a bunch of carnies, you guys, talking shit about my opinions every week. Uh, and, you know, that doesn't sound bad to me. That sounds like a standard day at the office. Um, yeah, so we're probably mainly just going to be talking about Vicente Luque versus Bilal Muhammad. Um, we're probably going to mention... I mean, Bellator 277 happened over the course of the weekend, and I didn't catch a whole lot from that card. What did I see? Uh, I saw there was a banger on the prelims. I'm probably going to mispronounce some names. There was Rogelio Luna, uh, defeated Socrates Hernandez. What a name. What an incredible name. Um, via TKO in the third round. Socrates Hernandez is basically Chris Moutinho v 2 um, cause that dude could take a fucking shot. Um, that was a banger. That was cool. You love to see it. That got broadcast, um, elsewhere. Um, ESPN picked up on it and all that good jazz. So that was cool. Um, what else? What else happened on UFC? Not UFC, Bellator 277. Um, Linton Vassell defeated Timothy Johnson in a scrappy heavyweight fight. Uh, I love Linton Vassell. He's fun to watch on the ground. Um, yeah, but Jesus Christ, watching him on the feet is hilarious. And uh, yeah, that was that. Yeah, was proven correct uh, when he got knocked the fuck down by Timothy Johnson. Uh, what was that like? Halfway through the first round. Uh, don't worry though. Linton Vassell figured his shit out. I mean, it's it's the age old. Do you let them stand up or do you go down and finish the job? Um, and Timothy Johnson decided that despite Linton Vassell's credentials on the ground, he was indeed going to follow him, follow him to the ground and attempt to finish the fight off there. Um, and Linton Vassell did what Linton Vassell does. He, uh, he grabbed, not, grabbed a hold of a single leg and he used it to reverse position, uh, wrapped up the legs and, um, got his shit together and ultimately... You know, he was on top of Timothy. Um, yeah, he took the back. And uh, he just kept landing punches until bada-bing, bada-boom. He got the, uh, the stoppage. Um, it was a cool comeback. It was entertaining to watch in that regard, you know. I'm not going to begrudge Bellator for having entertaining fights, but, like, it was sloppy as shit. So that was cool. Um, Aaron Pico defeated Adley Edwards, who... Edwards was a short-notice replacement, if I recall correctly. Uh, I'm just 
running through the Wikipedia page for this event. Yes, a featherweight bout between Aaron Pico and Jeremy Kennedy was expected to take place at the event. That, I think, would have been really fun. But instead, we got Adley Edwards, and uh, Aaron Pico just styled on him the entire time. Aaron Pico is so much fun to watch. I know that that is not a hot take by any stretch of the imagination because, um, well, I mean, he's been an incredibly hyped prospect since before he came into the UFC. Not the UFC. I keep saying the UFC. Bellator. Um, he was... Uh, he had a pretty successful freestyle wrestling career. Um, and additionally, he uh, had some success in boxing. Um, and so he came into Bellator as a very hyped prospect. Probably the most hyped prospect that Bellator has ever had. Um, and then he immediately lost his first fight against Zach Freeman. That was back at Bellator 180, which is... Pound for pound, one of the funniest events in Bellator history. Um, back in June of 2017, that was the same event that Chael Sonnen uh, decisioned the fuck out of Vandalay Silver, and Vandalay was mad because he couldn't get back to his feet. Um, the same event where Matt Mitrione and Fedor Emelianenko both knocked each other down simultaneously, and then Matt was able to finish Fedor off. It was sad, but it was funny. That was the one where Brett Primus... Um, beat Michael Chandler and won the lightweight championship because Chandler got drop foot. And then he tried to sit down in his, uh, in his corner and someone, I can't remember who it was exactly, but someone pulled the chair out from behind him and Chandler dropped to the ground. It was fucking hilarious. And on that same card, Zach Freeman knocked, uh, well, knocked Aaron Pico down initially, and then submitted him with a guillotine in 24 seconds. So, not a great start to the career of uh, of Aaron Pico, but, you know, he's had his ups and downs. He went on a 4-5 win streak after that with um, all finishes, and then he got finished by Henry Corrales, um, got finished by Adam Borix, uh, whose name I've undoubtedly just mispronounced. Um, and since then, he is what, on a 6-5 win streak, I think? Yeah, after this victory over Edwards. Um, which was at a catch weight because of the short notice. All good, all good. I think it was because of the short notice. Um, I think they both agreed on it. I don't. I don't think Edwards just kind of showed up and was overweight. I think it was just like they they agreed to coming out of catch weight, and that was all good. Um, yeah, Aaron Pico looked sensational. Um, as always, has a sensational left hook to the body. Um. Great right hand. His left hook to the body is is kind of the money shot. It's the shot that I think we all see and we all go, oh, <laughs> that's hot. Um, and he has a great left hook upstairs, which he sometimes get over. He sometimes gets overzealous with. I mean, it's it's part of the reason why he got knocked out by Henry Corrales. They they entered into a bomb burner. I mean, it was only a round. It was a like it was a minute and seven long fight. But uh, if I recall correctly, that fight was a bomb burner while it lasted, and part of it was that Aaron was just kind of throwing caution to the wind and getting the fuck in there and doing his thing. And uh, Henry caught him. Um, yeah, in this fight, I thought Pico looked sensational, hitting some great, great takedowns. Um, yeah, I just thought thought it was a really consummate professional performance. I think Aaron Pico should fight for the title, uh, Not maybe not in the next fight. Um but certainly in within two fights, I think if he wins his next fight, you can't really deny him at this point because he is pretty well ranked in the division at this point, if I recall correctly. Um, I don't have his, his exact 
rank up right now, but I think when they were broadcasting, um, there he was number number five next to his name, so he's ranked number five in the division, something like that. Um, so, I mean, he's gonna have to fight for the title soon, and I think he is a, I think he is a genuinely um, impressive prospect, and I think he could could genuinely win the championship. Um, yeah, what else happened on this card? Nemkov versus Corey Anderson. That was funny. That was Bellator shenanigans at their finest. Um, Nemkov was losing that fight. Um, yes, Corey Anderson, I thought, had the third round concluded. Um, Corey Anderson was definitely going to be ahead. Um, landed a great takedown at the beginning of the second round. Because the first round was moderately contentious, I'm fairly sure, off the top of my head. Um, no, I mean, looking at the uh, the scorecards now, and I think I think most people unanimously had Nemkov winning that first round. But um, round two, yeah, Corey, I thought, looked pretty damn good. Um, shot a good takedown, switched from the double to the single leg, and was able to um, get that short takedown, and from there... Um, I mean, like, Nemkov was, Nemkov's fun because, you know, if he's put on his back, he's gonna, um, he's gonna be quite active, he's gonna be looking for shots, he's gonna be looking for submissions, as he was throughout the course of this entire fight, um, the third round, he put up a bunch of stuff, um, looked like he, he had Corey in a guillotine briefly, which looked like he was gonna use to go to, you know, north-south, um, and potentially escape, but, Corey was, Corey got right back on him after uh, mitigating the threat of that submission, and um, yeah, flattened Nemkov back on his back and uh, and got back to work. There was one point where Nemkov put up a triangle and it almost looked threatening, but uh, you know, Corey's Corey's a good top player. He can do his thing. Um, and yeah, nearly got to the end of the third round. If it had gotten to the third round, well, we would be talking about this fight in a very different light. But unfortunately, an accidental clash of the heads uh, occurred. And yeah, it, it would have gone to a technical decision had it gone past the third round. Had the third round concluded. But alas, there was five seconds left in the round. And because the accidental clash of heads... Um, the fight was paused and then called off because, I mean, shit, the, uh, the cut above Nemkov's eye was pretty insane. It was pretty deep. So, um, yeah, the fight didn't go the three rounds and because it couldn't restart, it had to be called a no contest. So Nemkov technically retained his championship, which is fucking hilarious. Um, (laughs) I mean, it was fun. It was fun. Kind of fun while it lasted, but uh, alas, that's the way things go. Well, I'm really talking about Bellator here. The first podcast, we've talked for eleven, nearly 11 and a half minutes, and it's just been about Bellator. And that is, well, that's not good. I mean, I'm not going to be getting viewers for this shit, um, if that's the case. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, the title fight, AJ McKee versus Patricio Pitbull. Man, you expect so much, don't you? Um, or you expected so much. The first fight was promising because I think it created this 
illusion that there is so much more to see. Well, you know, the fight was so short and we didn't really get to see all of their their skills. Um, as such, you know, the rematch, if it, if it does get out of the first round, it's going to be so much more interesting. It's going to be so much more exciting. Uh, not really. I didn't find this fight particularly engaging. Um, there was a good knockdown in the third round from from Pitbull, and then a subsequent um, submission attempt, but ultimately, uh, relatively, relatively low-key fight, the uh, the fans, if I recall correctly, weren't having a good time, <laughs> I think they were pretty bored, um, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of measuring, uh, which is kind of what you should expect with Patricio, given that he is... I mean, he is inherently a patient counterfighter. You know, sometimes you get you get instances like his his finish of Michael Chandler a couple of years ago. You know, landed that overhand right early on in the fight, and as such, was able to capitalize and get the finish. Um, relatively controversial finish, but a finish nonetheless. Um, so sometimes you get that scenario where it happens early. He's able to land his shot early, and as such, the fight is exciting, kind of by default. But if the fight stretches on a bit, what you'll find is Patricio is just measuring a whole lot. He wants to land his overhand right, he wants to land his left hook, and um, he's not really going to, he's not going to sacrifice himself to land those shots. He is going to find his moment, he's going to find his opportunities, and he's going to, um, he's going to be patient about it. And uh, AJ in the first fight was measuring a lot with the open side, because he was fighting Southpaw, and as he was fighting Southpaw, he was utilizing a lot of the left body kick, left high kick, creating distance between himself and Patricio. But also, additionally, when he when he wanted to, he was using that to break down the distance and enter into the pocket. Um, and so a lot of this fight was, um, was Patricio kind of measuring the distance and trying to mitigate the threat of the uh, the left side basically it wasn't just the left body and left high kick it was also the uh, the straight left um, AJ used that or used all three weapons um, into one another so he was using the uh, the threat of the open side comprehensively and um, yeah kind of made for a, a moderately dull fight but you know is what it is I don't think it was a particularly contentious decision I definitely gave it to Pitbull. Um, I need to jump on MMA decisions. Let's jump on MMA decisions and see uh, what people were saying. Because, yeah, I'm looking at Sherdog, and those guys were were split. Um, One of the guys on Sherdog gave it to McKee, and then the two others gave it to Pitbull. Um, And the official decision was unanimous, with one judge giving it 49-46 to Pitbull. Um... Yeah, most of the uh, media scores were in favor of Pitbull as well. Yeah, ba- yeah, basically. That's um. Sorry, homies. Uh, I I'd give it to Pitbull if you're an AJ McKee fanatic. I don't know if there's many of us, uh, many of us, many of you. Um. Yeah. Sorry, dudes, but uh, I think that's that's a pretty decisive victory. I think most people would agree. Um. Yeah, screw it. Let's stop talking about Bellator. I just mentioned Bellator because, like, why the fuck wouldn't I mention Bellator? They're there. They had an event. 
It was meant to be a hyped event. It wasn't a hyped event. That, I think that was the biggest thing to come out of this Bellator event is the fact that Bellator, I mean, we, we know that they're, they're shitty at promotion for the most part, but like, damn, no one knew about this event coming into the week. Like, you listen to podcasts about the event. People were kind of like, oh, shit, I didn't realize that there was a rematch scheduled between AJ McKee and Patricia Pitbull, but I guess this is happening this week and we've got to talk about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was just it was weird. It just kind of crept up on everyone and bada-bing, bada-boom, there you are. It's on. Um, meanwhile, this Luke Muhammad card wasn't that crazy. What do we have? That's a weird fucking... I'm, I'm basically just going to talk about the shit that I actually want to talk about because uh, I don't want to fuck around with with shit that I didn't really give that much of a shit about. I could talk about the technical decisions all day. Um, we could talk about the fact that there were some... <laughs> there were some illegal moves which led to fighters winning um, via technical decision. But, uh, you know... Yeah, I, I want to talk about stuff that was actually interesting, and I think Bilal Muhammad versus Vicente Luque, despite the fact that it was a relatively slow fight, and despite the fact that Bilal kind of had wrapped it up by the, uh, you know, I, I felt like coming into the fifth round, it was pretty clear that Luque was going to have to do some big shit to win that fight, um, and most people seem to agree with me, Um and he's difficult because he doesn't really rush that much. Part of why we love Luke is because he is so measured. He has such a a thoughtful style. Um, but that is also what will lose him these close fights coming into the latter rounds. I mean, he got away with it against Mike Perry um, back in, what was that, 2017, 20, I think 2018. Um where he didn't, he didn't have a whole lot of, um, there wasn't a whole lot of intensity about him coming into that third round relative to what you think he should, relative to what he probably should have had, given that that fight was likely, I mean, 1-1 maybe, could could be 2-0 for uh, Mike. Actually, I'm trying to think back on, no, it would have been, it, I think I scored a 1-1 um, coming into that third round. 1-1? Um, I, I know. I think I think I had a two zero Mike, which I ended up scoring it in favor of Mike, and thinking, eh, you know, it could have gone either way, but like shit, I probably would have given it to Mike Perry. So in that instance, yes, Vicente probably should have had a little more intensity about him. Should have should have been pushing the fight a little more, uh, and the same thing probably should have been true in this instance, because um, I mean, well, he lost on one of the cards, forty eight forty seven. So if he had won that last round. Um, then, hey, maybe uh, maybe he would have walked away with the decision. But alas, what am I even talking about? Um, yeah, the... Uh, I'm just having a look at MMA decisions to... Geez, yeah, it was, it was obviously quite unanimous. Um, a lot of people, yeah, Bilal won the fifth round. I did recall correctly. I thought Bilal did win definitively the fifth round, but, you know, I was just, just making sure. Anyway, I've never seen Bilal use as much lateral movement as he did in this fight. I mean, it was really impressive. I Yeah, I've never seen it before. Um, you know, I thought... I've always thought his striking was a bit bare bones. It was competent. Um, he didn't really have anything 
particularly notable. Had some decent low kicks. Uh, his right hand's pretty solid. I didn't realize he was this good from Southpaw. Like, shit, he was switching stance. Um, uh, he wasn't switching stance as much as Luke. Luke was throwing a lot out of Southpaw. And uh, it kind of drew out some switches from uh, Bilal as well. Uh, they were switching with one another. So it kind of turned into a bit of a fucking car crash at certain points. But yeah, Bilal is just constantly sidestepping. And it was an interesting method for mitigating um, Luke's pressure. Because Luke is a good pressure uh, striker. Um, and there there have been different approaches to getting him off guys. So, for example, back in... Uh, what was it, 2019 against Brian Barberina in that you know fight of the year contender that they had. Um, Brian's approach to getting Luke off of him was simply just a flurry because he noticed that Luke puts up his high guard and will just will kind of eat shots and look for the counter left hook when he can. But I'll, that's all he, he'll do. He will sit back and kind of wait for the flurry to end. He's kind of got that... Um, that's kind of like the Dutch kickboxing meta um, in some regards. When, when Dutch kickboxers will train, what they'll often do is they'll like they'll just take turns basically to beat the shit out of each other. You know, they might throw you know one guy might throw a three punch combination and the other guy will shell up with the high guard and just take the shots, look to parry some of the shots maybe, but you know. He will, he will let the guy get his shots off and then he will fire back with a combination of his own and his his training partner will put up his high guard. Um, and those, so they'll just go back and forth and they'll get used to feeling comfortable throwing combinations against what is essentially a stagnant-prone uh, opponent. Um, and I feel like that is kind of what uh, Luke is used to because... Um, in that Barbarina fight, yeah, Barbarina was just flurrying, and some of those shots were ugly. Uh, entertaining to watch, no doubt, but definitely not super crisp technique. And you think, coming into that fight between Luke and Barbarina, well, Luke should have the advantage. He has a much crisper form on the vast majority of his, his technical striking arsenal. I mean, he has a better jab. He has a one of the most gorgeous left hooks in mixed martial arts. Um perfectly well-timed, he just turns his hip into it really well, he doesn't turn his hip all the way over, like, you'll see some kickboxing guys, when they initially make the leap into MMA, they'll really turn the hip over, not really kickboxing, mainly boxing guys when, when they go into kickboxing or MMA, um, they'll turn the hip over a lot when they're throwing the left hook to put more power behind it. But obviously, by turning the hip over, you're, you're kind of putting yourself side onto your opponent. It makes you more susceptible to being taken down. It's really easy to pick up a... Uh, it's really easy to get a double leg um, if a guy has turned side onto you um, like that. So um, that that can be an issue for some guys. But yeah, Luke is able to get a sensational amount of power on that left hook without turning his hip over too far. And as such, he's pretty... And, and yeah, additionally, he's pretty good at, at um, working off of the front headlock, as we saw against Michael Chiesa and Tyron Woodley as well. Um, he loves his fucking Dars choke. Um, 
And yeah, he has just a sensational left hook. And you come into that fight thinking his his technique is significantly more crisp than Brian's, and you know it's gonna be it's gonna be a wrap. He's got good knees in the clinch, uh, great elbow shots. Uh, he landed a few good shots on Bilal in this fight, um, in close with the elbows, as well. Um, but yeah, you come into that Barbarina fight thinking all that, and then Brian just turns it into a dog fight and just comes forward and forces Luke to shell up for long periods of time and is able to get off legit eight, nine, ten punch combinations at a time just because Luke is sitting back with his high guard up, taking the shots on the guard. Some of them are getting through, some of them are getting blocked, but but a significant portion of them are finding their mark. Um, and yeah, that's how Brian approached getting uh, Luke off of him. And... You know, we've seen other approaches since. I mean, Tyron Woodley's approach was, hey, I'm just going to swing my overhand right. Um, you know, in a, in a courageous performance, uh, given where he was at in his career at the time. Um, but yeah, didn't work super well because, uh, funnily enough, Vicente Luque, really good counterpuncher. Um, yeah. Mike Perry's head movement was sensational. In that, but he still got pushed up against the cage, and he did not have the lateral movement necessary to get Vicente off him consistently, whereas Bilal did. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously Bilal paired his lateral movement, moving side to side, with uh, the threat of the takedown. He got he got a number of takedowns. I think he was hitting, he hit like 50% of his takedowns, something like that. Um, just looking up, well, it's not five metric, it's UFC stats right now. Um... Well, he hit five takedowns, so he hit a takedown around. Yeah, he got 50% takedown rate, um, five from ten. Um, yeah, just some just some really nice work from Bilal um, in terms of the takedowns. There was some good variety with the takedowns as well. Like in the first round, um, he got a takedown about halfway through the round, you know, he was in orthodox, comes in, gets the double leg, picks up the um, the left leg of Luke and then drives over Luke's right leg. And then in the second round, he hits that like TJ Dillashaw step around double. That that takedown where, um, well, the video that I always reference is a video where Joseph Benavidez and TJ Dillashaw are teaching at, at, a, uh, at Eternal MMA um, not eternal MMA, absolute MMA down in uh, <laughs> in Melbourne, and they're teaching it as well. So, like, you shoot the double, and then you bring your rear leg around the one of the legs of your opponent, and so you basically wrap that leg up with your rear leg, and additionally, that becomes your lead leg. Um, now that you've brought it forward to wrap up their their leg, uh, and then you fold them over that leg, um, that same leg that you've now trapped, you fold them over it, and uh, you use your um, you use your head to direct them over your your leg and your knee. Um, it's quite a successful double leg when used effectively. I think the best example is going to be T.J. Dillashaw versus John Lineker. Back at UFC 207, he used that like twice on Lineker and uh, did it fucking incredibly well in that context. Um, in part because 
Lineker just wants to bang. And, uh, you know, if you time him well, you can get under his, his loopy ass shots pretty easily. Um, and yeah, that's exactly what TJ did. But yeah, Bilal did that in the second round. And then he did it in the third round. And I believe he did it um, with Luke being in a different stance. So I'm, I'm just watching it now. So it's about a minute 45 into the second round. And Bilal starts in orthodox with Luke in orthodox as well. So it's a close dance matchup. And yeah, that, that's kind of the way that you, you traditionally want to do it. And Bilal shoots forward. And yeah, he basically switches to southpaw because he's bringing his rear leg around the lead leg of Luke and then drives over that um, drives over Luke's uh, his lead leg and he's able to get the double leg that way really good finish and then if we go into the third round it's a similar principle a similar kind of takedown but it's from um, open stance so Bilal starts in uh, orthodox and Luke is in southpaw at this point. Luke is jabbing. Sorry if you if you hear mouse clicking sounds, it's just because I'm you know going through it just so that I have a good visual reference and I, and I can describe it appropriately. Um, but yes, uh, instead of Bilal bringing his rear leg forward to wrap around the lead leg, because because they're in an open stance matchup and the lead legs line up with one another. He doesn't have to bring the rear leg forward. He just has to wrap his own lead leg around Luke's lead leg. Um, and that's exactly what he does. And drives through and gets the takedown. I, I thought thought Luke's takedown defense wasn't sensational in this fight. There were a couple of takedowns where I was like, eh, you know, probably shouldn't have given that up. Is that takedown in the fourth round where, I mean, Bilal sets it up pretty effectively. He lands an overhand right, lands lands an overhand right, and then shoots in on the single leg because it's southpaw orthodox, and um, folds Luke over that leg really effectively. Um, also does well to keep it in the middle of the cage. Um, Bilal does does a... I mean, part of that is just the fact that Luke is moving forward constantly, and in most instances, his opponents are going to end up on the fence shooting into the middle of the cage, as opposed to them being the ones pressuring Luke. If they're to shoot in that scenario, Luke is probably going to end up close to the cage uh, where he can use the cage. So, you know, it's not really that surprising that Bilal was the one getting takedowns in the middle of the cage um, because that was realistically his only option for long stretches of the fight. But regardless, it's good for him. Uh, because he was just kind of able to keep Luke in closed guard or open guard, passing the half guard a couple of times. Um, I believe in the fifth round, was it the fifth round? There was one round where Bilal managed to take the back of Luke, but, and as the commentators mentioned, um, both Cormier and, uh, and Cruz mentioned, Bilal doesn't really have any submission threat. Um, I don't think any guys are really particularly concerned about the rear naked choke with him. And as such, it's difficult for Bilal in some scenarios with guys who are going to willingly give up their back to tripod, for example, technically quad pod. You know, you're, obviously he's in a different division, but the, uh, the prime example these days is kind of Kelvin Gastelum, where that man will just, he doesn't give a fuck. He's like, all right, I'm on my back. I All I want to do right now is I want a quad pod. And um, 
I'm going to use that to get back to my feet. I don't give a shit if, you know, I give up my back. Honestly, I want these guys to to take my back because it gives me that opportunity to quad pod and that's what I want. Um, you know, but like, yeah, there, there are some guys like that, but ultimately you do, you do still need to keep guys minding their P's and Q's. It's, it's a whole lot easier to keep a motherfucker down when like, Hey, if I am flat on my back and this guy is, you know, whether we are in full guard or whether we are in um whether we are in half guard or whether he's in fucking mount you know i i still don't want to give up my back to try and escape this position because if i do he's going to threaten the rear naked choke and if he get you know he might get the rear naked choke that's not good i don't want to give him that opportunity uh whereas against Bilal, i think most of these top contenders if Bilal does happen to take their back they're like i don't give a shit you know uh, that said now that he's moving into the upper echelon of the division, there aren't a whole lot of guys who he's really, I think, going to trouble with his wrestling. Do we really think, do we really think he's going to trouble Usman with his wrestling? I don't think anyone does. Um, I'm making that sound like there is a dissenting opinion, like someone is out here screaming to the fucking moon and back. No, Bilal Muhammad will win the UFC world, welterweight champion. He's going to be Usman. Mark these words. I don't think anyone's really doing that right now. Not yet, at least. But yeah, I I don't think he's going to give Usman many troubles. Um, I think Usman's seen these takedowns a million and one times before. I think he's going to be able to defend them really effectively. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Additionally, Bilal's not in super fast with them. He was executing them with really good technique. Uh, but, you know, he wasn't running uh, running the pipe like fucking like a Chad Mendes type, a dude who can hit a fast takedown. Uh, there's a reason why they called him Money Shot Mendes, and it wasn't because he was in the porn industry, okay? It's because that motherfucker could hit a damn good shot, uh, and he could do it fast. Whereas Bilal, he's hitting them with good... I was about to say journeyman. I don't want to say journeyman. Fuck no. He's Well, he just beat number five in the welterweight division in the UFC. Like, not a fucking journeyman. But... um. You know, just good, honest, hard American wrestling, I guess you'd say. Um, yeah, I, I thought ultimately Bilal's going to struggle to threaten a lot of these upper echelon welterweight wrestlers like Usman, like Colby, obviously. Um, and as we saw against Leon, I, I know motherfuckers will be like, oh, well, Leon fucking eye poked him and so we didn't get anything more than a first round. So we, we don't really have any indication of what would happen over the course of five rounds. But yeah, Leon got tired against Cowboy and of course Leon's, you know, his output dropped off a little bit against Nate and then Nate was able to hurt him in the fifth round. But for the most part, I think Nate, not Nate, uh, Leon's cardio is pretty solid. Um, He's fought a lot of, Three round fights, two decision. He doesn't finish particularly often. Like his his cardio is pretty decent. Um, and realistically, let's be honest, I don't see Bilal and Leon being matched up for another main event again. You know, Bilal's he's not the most exciting character in the welterweight welterweight division. You know, you've got your Masvidal's, you've got your Colby's, 
You know, those guys you put at the top of a pay-per-view card or you, you put at the top of a fight night. Whereas Bilal, I mean, obviously he's now been in two consecutive. No, he wasn't in the main event against Stephen Thompson. Um, he's been in a couple of main events now against Leon and now against Luke. But, like, he's not a super charismatic individual, so he's probably not going to be in a five-round fight again if he gets matched up with Leon, unless one of them wins the fucking belt and they fight in that scenario. Um, so... You know, in a three-round fight, I absolutely give, you know, my tip to Leon Edwards. I just think, you know, his his ability to measure the distance significantly better, and his his work in the clinch is just so fucking dangerous. Bilal, I mean, Luke's Luke's decent in the clinch, and he, obviously he has the threat of the dars from the front headlock. But Bilal was doing a really good job mitigating the threat of the front headlock every single time. Luke was trying to trying to work in that position. Bilal was like not having any of it. And was cutting corners. Was just doing everything he could to get out of that. He he did not want to end up like Michael Kiesa. Um, you know, I th- I thought he was really really good in that. But Leon Edwards is a whole other beast in the clinch. That man's elbows. That man's knees. Yeah, his, his elbows are the main concern. He measures distance really well, and when guys do enter in on him, he immediately looks for single-collar ties. He looks for bicep control, and he looks to bring elbows over the top and up the middle. And he's a fucking razor in that scenario and um yeah i think he just gives Bilal a lot of fucking issues uh in a, in a rematch um who else masvidal he could he could probably do some work on masvidal masvidal's a good fight for Bilal right now um i don't think they will match them up because masvidal's seem masvidal seems to be quite picky about who he fights um and i mean he kind of deserves to be he is a draw in the division nowadays but, um, yeah, I think I'd like to see that fight. I just don't think it'll ever materialize because Ma- is Masvidal really going to look at Bilal and go, oh, a fucking money fight there? No, no one is. Um, he's a, he's a damn good fighter, but he's, he's not the money fight for anyone. Um, just looking at this fifth round takedown. Oh, no, that was basically just like driving Luke to the fence, <laughs> you know, picking up the, uh, the lead leg and just driving him. Um, some good balance from Luke there, though. So, you know. Where does this put Vicente Luque? Um, not in a great position. I mean, he looked his striking looked pretty clean. Um, as always. I think it was just the threat of the takedown that really it disrupted his rhythm. Um, he found his rhythm in the third round. Like he landed a fucking mean left hook in that round that uh seemed to rock um Bilal quite significantly. I thought it was the beginning of the end. Uh, I started shouting at my te- television. But um, alas, that was not the case. Uh, Bilal was able to gather himself. And I think some people gave him the fucking third. No, the vast majority of people seem to have given uh, Luke the third. Good. Because I thought that was an indisputable round. Um, what else happened on this card? Uh, Lazez. Oh, God. Um... I'm gonna I'm gonna fuck up the pronunciations again. Uh, Munir Munir Lazez versus Ange Lusa. Losa? It's Losa. I think it's Losa. Lusa. Losa. I'm gonna go Losa. Um I've only seen Losa once, and that was in that fucking barn burner with Australian um prospect what's weight prospect, uh what's his name? I fucking made a short video on him, Jack Della Madalena. Um 
who's a sensational, sensational striker, and showed off his sensational striking against uh, Losa in that fight. And uh, unfortunately for Losa, the same fucking thing kind of happened. You know, I think he is a he is a pretty damn competent fighter. Uh, I think he's pretty damn good, but he's just been matched up two times in a row. It feels like um, Marcus Brimage. Remember when he was matched up against fucking Conor McGregor and Cody Garbrandt? Not back-to-back, I don't think, but like pretty damn close to one another. And obviously this was before they became the phenoms that they became um, and the draws that they became. And Marcus was just kind of fed to the wolves. Um, just, uh, I don't think he knew that that's exactly what was happening. I mean, he probably did. I think he knew about Connor because Connor came in with a fuckload of hype from Cage Warriors. But like, shit, you know? If that feels like the kind of thing that's just happened to Losa because Jack Della Maddalena looked sensational on the regional scene here in Australia. I mean, you should go watch. If you haven't seen it, go watch his fight with Kevin Doucette. That shit's a fucking banger. Kevin Doucette is a uh, is a is a prospect from France. He's been uh, well. He was training over at Absolute MMA um, in Melbourne, and then he's he's now training at City Kickboxing over in New Zealand with uh, with you know Izzy and and uh, what's their names? All the other motherfuckers, Eugene Behrman and all them. Um, yeah, and Jack Della Maddalena fucking did the damn thing. It was a kind of messy fight, but really entertaining and really impressive. Like, Jack Della Maddalena coming into the UFC, I think most people recognized that he was a genuine talent and that this wasn't just like, oh, you know, this wasn't some scrub. No, he's he's legit. Um, and now Lazez, it looked fucking sensational. Great jab. Really good timing with the right hand as well down the middle. Oh, I thought his striking was so fucking good. So clean. Um, I was really impressed by him. His timing, so good all throughout the fight. And then... This motherfucker comes out in the post-fight press conference or in the post-fight interview. And who did he shout out? He shouted out like a fucking Irish... Um, I'm trying to look it up now. He shouted out like an Irish uh, mob boss. Yeah, here we go. I found a news.com.au article about it. It's always weird when... like fucking Murdoch picks up on random UFC stories. Like, what the fuck is happening? Um, yes. Following his UFC fight night victory over Ange Losa, the New York Post reports, uh, Lozez thanked Daniel Kinahan, upon whom the US government imposed a $5 million reward for information leading to his arrest and conviction days before the fight. <laughs> ah... Yeah, his official comment in the in the post-fight interview was like, I would like to thank my coaches and my brother, Daniel Kinahan. Without him, I would never be the man who I am today and my career at this point. Thanks a lot. And it's like, bruh, bruh. I mean, like, Kinahan was the motherfucker who founded uh, MTK Global. You see, their, um, you see their logo a lot on, like, European boxing events and, um, and on some, like, European mixed martial arts events. Um... He's quite a, he, he's a decent figure in the the combat sports landscape. Uh, but yeah, he's apparently not, not a fucking top tier dude. Um, I, I only just realized that um, initially Lazez was meant to be fighting Zaleski Dos Santos at this event. Fuck, that would have been a banger. 
would have been a fucking great fight. I think Lizaz probably would have been taken down a few times, and Zaleski Dos Santos would have would have done some shit on the uh, on the ground. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm happy with this. I'm happy that Lizaz got got a good fight and was able to was able to show out and show off. Um, yeah, particularly after he got finished early against Wale Wale Alves, you're like, damn. Motherfuckers are still losing to Wale Alves. That's crazy. Um, who else was cool on this card? Pat Sabatini did what Pat Sabatini was meant to do. Sensational, you know. Sensational. I'm not. I'm not really going to comment more on that. Um, the other big one that I kind of want to comment because it's like 43 minutes of recording here, and a lot of this is probably not that interesting. As uh, Andre Fialio, um, who I really like the look of against. Uh, Michelle Piera. Um, in in Vialio's last fight, he fought Michelle Piera, and Piera's been getting better and better and better. I, I mean, he came into the UFC and he was just considered a wild card, basically. Like, I'm going to do flips, I'm going to throw dumb shit, I'm going to gas myself out in about 20 fucking seconds into a fight, and I'm going to spend the rest of the time running around trying not to get knocked out, or whilst throwing more dumb shit. Um... And over time, he has become a significantly more patient fighter. His outside low-kicking game has become a lot better. He's uh, His striking still looks a bit ugly to me, but that's just because he shifts a lot. Like, he'll throw a combination. He'll throw, like, a, a jab cross and then go into a step-up high kick, and he'll be, like, shifting forward with his punches, like, stepping forward with his punches every single punch. And so... In a lot of instances, when he doesn't land, it looks kind of ugly. But it works pretty effectively because he spends half of his fucking time doing what Bilal Muhammad was doing against Luke in their fight. You know, he spends half of his time just circling the cage, utilizing lateral movement with a very square stance. You know, both feet, um, both feet flat with one another. And uh, yeah, he just moves side to side. And as such, guys just press in on him and press him against the cage. And so his only option is to to um, push back with these shifting flurries to create space. And Fialio kind of took advantage of that in their fight where, you know, he he had really practiced striking. I thought he had a sensational left hook. I thought the form was really good. He got his chin behind his his shoulder. Um, really nice arc on the hook. I, I just thought his timing was also really nice. Yeah, I thought he looked sensational against Piera early on in that fight. And then he gassed and the fight kind of turned into a dog fight. And um, Piera was able to walk away with a victory. But coming into this fight, I believe Bieza was the favorite. Don't quote me on that. I, I should probably watch the broadcast again just to check. But you know that that's what that's my presumption. But I think Bieza was the uh, was the favorite. Fialio didn't really give a shit. Uh, he got hurt initially, but um, he was able to come back and he got a fucking brutal knockout with his left hook, no less. The shot that I was coming into this fight, going, wow, you know, I, I think Fialio you know, should be respected a little more because, you know, he does have some good fundamentals on the feet. And he came in and he showed off some good fucking fundamentals on the feet. It was entertaining. I really, I was impressed. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was impressed. Um, I hope to see more of this motherfucker because, you know, that knockout was really good. I think he is a promising guy in the division. No, not super promising. I don't think he'll be a fucking champion. Um, but, like shit, he's really entertaining to watch strike. You should go watch that fight because it's it's fun and Fialio looks pretty good in it. Um, yeah, I think that's where I'm gonna call it. I could probably go through more of 
these fights, but, eh, you know, don't really want to. Drakkar Close got a win over Brandon Jenkins. I'm happy to see Drakkar Close win. He's kind of became, he's, he's become a bit of a, he's become a good guy now because, uh, because Jeremy Stevens was a fucking idiot and managed to fuck up their scheduled fight because he decided to push a dehydrated Drakkar Close on the, uh, the weigh-in dais. And you're like, bro, bro, don't do... Th- he's There ain't no fluid in his fucking brain. Why are you pushing him? Why, why are you creating a confrontation? You ain't Conor Mon- motherfucking McGregor. Like, shit. Get your shit together. So, yeah. Close finally came back and was able to get a TKO over Brandon Jenkins. In a fight which probably should have been stopped. Oh, you know, before it was, basically. But, you know, it is what it is. I shouldn't say it like that. Uh, <laughs> Haley Alatang also came back. Um, TKO'd Kevin Kroom. Not many of you motherfuckers know who Haley Alateng is, uh, but back I did a prospect watch video on uh, Casey Kenny, one of my first prospect watch videos, one of my first videos in general, and um, yeah, it was against Haley Alateng. Haley basically could not do fucking anything against uh, against Kevin Casey. Made Kevin Casey look sensational, um, which was part of the reason why I made a prospect watch video on him, and he hasn't really panned out as well as I thought uh, he would. But um, yeah, I'm just glad to see a guy that I kind of just dogged on for five minutes in a video. I'm just glad to see that motherfucker win a fight <laughs> and uh, and get a finish, no less. Um, yeah, so I don't really know what I'm going to be doing with this podcast. Just just to immediately transition to concluding comments, um, I don't really know what I'm going to be doing with this podcast. I don't think I'll be doing it uh, bi-weekly like some others. I think it's probably going to be like a once every week more realistically, it's probably going to be once every two weeks or so, depending on the cards that are coming up. What's coming up this week? Juan Archuleta has taken on uh, starts for the Interim Bantamweight Championship. Eh, Horiguchi's fighting against Patchy Mix. That's cool. Um, Chris Cyborg's fighting against a girl whose name I don't recognize. Does, is that bad? Is that bad that I don't know motherfuckers in the Bellator women's featherweight division? Is that bad? I don't think it's bad. I think most people can uh, relate to that. But, you know, whatever. Uh, Amanda Lemosh is fighting Jessica Andrade. That's a banger. I fucking love that fight. I think Jessica Andrade wins that fight, but it's fucking interesting. Um, Clay Guida's back um, against Claudio Puelles. Puelles? Butcher that pronunciation. Oh my god! Oh my god! What a! La- I've just noticed one of the fights on this card, this fight night card coming up this weekend. Alexander Romanov, who is a genuine heavyweight uh, prospect. I think he looks good. He's fifteen and zero. He's taking on fucking Chase Sherman. Chase Sherman is the motherfucker I bet against. If I have, like, if I know that his opponent is even remotely competent. My instinct is to go, well, Chase Sherman's going to get fucked up. I'm betting on his opponent. Parker Porter. I think I'd watched one Parker Porter fight before. And he came into that fight with Chase Sherman. And I was like, you know, for reference, I only ever bet like $5, you know? Because I, I don't want don't want to become a proper gambling degenerate, you know, who loses all his cash money. So I, I bet very small. I put like 15 bucks on Parker Porter. For me, that's fucking insane. But I was like, I've watched one fight from Parker Porter. I guarantee he beats the fuck out of Chase Sherman. And lo and behold, he didn't beat the fuck out of him. But he did win the fight. Um, yeah, Chase Sherman's... He's a uh, 
He's not an he's not an aesthetically pleasing fighter. That's that's what we'll say. He stands really tall and he gets boxed the fuck up. Um, <laughs> it's just not good. Um, who else? Macy Barber versus Montana De La Rosa. That's kind of interesting. I'm interested by that. Manel Capes back uh, against. Ooh, I'm gonna mispronounce that. Uh, Muda Ergi Su. Muda Ergi Su. Yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, that should be fun. That should be really fun. Um, Charles Jordan's fighting Lando Venata. That fucking slaps. Okay, actually, hold on a minute. This card's fucking, like, it's got some low... Oh, Tyson Pedro's back on this this fucking card. We haven't seen him in yonks. He got, uh, I mean, he's had a million and one injuries. He got injured against um, Shogun. That was part of the reason why he lost that fight. Uh, he was winning that fight. Nearly looked like he was, I mean, it looked like he was going to finish um, Shogun in the first round, I think, and then Shogun was able to work his way into it. Pedro injured his, I'm going to say, MCL, ACL, something along those lines. And um, since then, I think he's had an additional injury on top of that, and it's kept him out for like three years. Really sad because he's, I love Tyson Pedro. I think he's a fantastic striker. I think his striking came so much, came came along so much um, throughout, his initial UFC stint. I mean, it's still technically the same UFC stint, but it's been three fucking years, you know. It's uh, It feels like a different UFC stint. Um, but yeah, his striking comes so far. Like, particularly when you watch, like, that Shogun fight. You know, he's throwing shit like question mark kicks. And he came into the uh, into the UFC, I think, like, as a competent striker. But ultimately, it was his ground game that was the threat, uh, as we saw against Khalil Roundtree. Um, he got knocked down by Khalil in his UFC debut, and then was able to get the sub in the first round. Um, reversed. Pulled a, uh, a Linton Vassell, I guess you could say. Um, Philippe Linz. I don't care about that. Um, Marcin. Oh, fuck. Have I seen him before? I feel like I've seen this dude fight before. Um, oh, he beat Khalil. Oh yeah, remember that? That was, wasn't a super entertaining fight, if I recall correctly. Um, oh, he's lost to Sam Alvey. Oh Jesus, no! Oh God, there's no hype behind this man. Oh, shit, that's bad. Um, yeah, no, there's some fucking Jordan Wright versus Mark Andre Barrio. That's a banger, actually. Damn, there are some fucking fights on here. Dwight Grant's back against uh Sergey. Kandosko. Kandosko? Is this his USC debut, or has he fought in the USC before, and I'm a fucking idiot? Lost to Rustam Hubbelov. Okay. Anyway, yeah, that's happening this weekend. That should be fun. Um, shit. Might come back and do another one next week. Anyway. Uh, I'm going to go watch the end of the Memphis Grizzlies versus uh, the Timberwolves, and I've just like flicked over, and Memphis is 20 points ahead, which is disappointing because I had a, uh, a handicap bet on Minnesota, and it was like, the line was like six points, so that's depressing, um, but that's all right, I'm gonna go do that, hope you enjoyed the rest of your week, I might come back next week, because, uh, you know, shit, I need the algorithm to work in my favor, and uh, this is the best way that I can think of doing that, um, yeah, I'll catch you later, bye. <laughs>